0: Welcome to the ninth episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, the NBA, a review of NFL Super Wildcard weekend. Let's jump right into those three topics with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which you can find posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we'll start with Patrick's college basketball predictions. Number 14, Illinois, was upset by number 21, Ohio State, 87-81, with Patrick incorrectly picking Illinois. However, Patrick correctly predicted Florida State to beat North Carolina, 82-75. And Patrick correctly picked number 2, Baylor, to beat number 15, Texas Tech, 68-60. And finally, number 18, Virginia, upset number 12, Clemson, 85-50 in a complete blowout. And Patrick again correctly picked Virginia, making Patrick 3-1 in his NCAA basketball predictions for the weekend. Patrick, your thoughts on your picks.
1: I think this week I did a pretty good job of accurately predicting the optics of all of these games. I even said that Illinois would win because they would find a way to get on a run. They did get on a run, but unfortunately they were down 15 when that run started, and that run only got them within, I think, three points. They still ended up losing. They really lost because Kofi Coburn didn't get enough shots. He was 7-7 from from the field, but he only got seven shots. So Ohio State did a great job holding uh holding the ball from him. In the Florida State game, Florida State grabbed their 20th straight home win in ACC games. They did so behind some balanced scoring. They had five players scoring in double figures. Florida State was 26 from 20 26 of 27 from the free throw line, which made a huge difference in that game obviously closing out a close one. Baylor was able to hold on to their lead by playing great defense something this team prides itself on. They held Texas Tech to just 18 points in the first half and kept even in the second half to keep the lead at exactly what it was at. And Virginia, with the upset over Clemson, got the the 35-point the margin was the second-largest margin of victory of all time of an a, over an AP Top 25 team on the road, which is honestly insane considering Virginia entered the game as a lower-ranked team. But they pulled it out.
0: Yeah, we're seeing a lot of uh, big wins on the road this year. I think it has something to do with there being fans, and maybe the officiating, maybe uh, someone will do a study on that to see home field advantage, home court advantage this year uh, in the era of COVID and see if really there was a not as much of an impact on, on home court and home field as a result of there not being fans. All right, well, great job on your NCAA Hoops predictions. Let's take a look at the NBA where you, you were similarly uh, accurate in your predictions. Uh, the Bucks beat the Mavs 112-109 with Patrick correctly picking the Bucks, Similarly, the Nets beat the Magic 122-115, to and Patrick correctly picked the Nets. The Trail Blazers defeated the Hawks 112-106, with Patrick correctly picking the Trail Blazers. And then Patrick's lone NBA miss, a very close game, went right down to the wire. The Jazz beat the Nuggets 109-105, with Patrick incorrectly pick- picking the Nuggets. So again, 3-1 in the NBA. Patrick, what do you think?
1: The Bucks were surprisingly not relying on Giannis to win this game for them. Chris Middleton actually did the heavy lifting after Giannis missed a step back three when the Bucks were down 1. Chris Middleton hit two threes in a row to give the Bucks the lead 109-105, and he also hit two of two free throws to ice the game. James Harden in his debut, I thought this game might go into the 140s because of the lack of defense, but I'm actually pleasantly surprised by the Nets defense, albeit against a really struggling Magic team that we're going to be talking about later. Harden put up a 30-point triple-double, and Kevin Durant scored 42 points, inching closer to taking the lead in the league in scoring and maybe winning another scoring title for him. Behind Damian Lillard's 36 points, the Blazers overcame a 7-point halftime deficit to defeat the Hawks, and the Jazz did avenge their loss, which I said they might not do in their playoff series. Uh, beating the Nuggets in a close game. I'm overall pretty satisfied with these. I think, again, kind of like the NCAA, my the optics I had on these games were pretty much accurate, but I think overall also 3-1 in some very close games is a pretty good result to me.
0: Yep, well, you were 3-1 in both the NBA and College Hoops, which, for those of you who can't do math without a calculator, makes Patrick 6-2 on the weekend. Um, this doesn't include Patrick's NFL picks, which normally are part of his weekend picks, but because this weekend... Uh, we went over them separately due to the NFL playoffs. Uh, we aren't including those in the 6-2 and two total. However, as you will hear in detail in our NFL recap segment, which is coming up, Patrick also went 3-1 in his NFL divisional weekend picks. So when you wrap in all of Patrick's picks, including those NFL picks that we've been highlighting separately, Patrick went 9-3 last weekend and is 31-15 overall for his weekend picks. Patrick, pat yourself on the back. What else do you have to say?
1: A strong season that I'm continuing here with the predictions. I hope to keep this record way above 500 for the remainder of, well, forever. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, some, some some one weekend I think I'm bound to get a few wrong and look pretty bad. I think that happened to me last weekend with the NBA. I think I went one and two, but I'm always, I'm always there to bounce back.
0: <laughs> All right, well, um, if you want to keep following Patrick's predictions and uh, maybe see how they help you out in your day-to-day life, Uh, You can go to our website at 4 24com every Thursday. Patrick posts his weekend picks for the following weekend every Thursday on the website. And that'll wrap up our segment of Patrick's weekend predictions. Now let's move on to the NBA with our typical recap, starting with Patrick's thoughts on the most impressive teams of the week. Patrick, who's your most impressive team of the past week in the NBA?
1: My most impressive team of the week? was the Memphis Grizzlies. They went 2-0 without their star John Morant and 1-0 with John Morant. They were just holding out while waiting for him to come back, hoping to just keep somewhat even in the standings so that they could maybe claw their way back up when he gets back. But actually they went 2-0 this week. They had some struggles earlier before. But in his first game back they defeated the 76ers who are only a half game back on the of the top of the the very very top of the Eastern Conference standings. Not to mention the fact that Memphis is also now on a four-game win streak, including a win over the Nets towards the end of last week. They're playing really well, and they are tied with the Mavericks, Warriors, and Thunder for seventh in the West currently. Those are some teams that we think are definitely going to be in it by the, by the end, and the Grizzlies getting some big wins over some good teams is a good sign for them going forward.
0: All right, so the Grizzlies at 3-0 and for the week is Patrick's number one most impressive team. Another team that went 3-0 and is his number two most impressive team of the week. Patrick, who would that be?
1: The Milwaukee Bucks, uh, really, this is just the dominance that we expect out of them. They were the preseason favorite to win the Eastern Conference. The win over the Mavericks was not the greatest they could have played, but any win over a quality team in the West is still a good win. And this week's results have also allowed them to take first place in the Eastern Conference, which is the throne which I think they would like to rightfully sit upon for the rest of the year, as they ended up doing last year, although it didn't matter because in the bubble, there was no home court advantage. And maybe same situation this year, but it's always good to be the one seed.
0: All right, and finally, another team that went undefeated on the week that comes in in third place of Patrick's most impressive teams. The week, Patrick, what team would that be?
1: That would be the Utah Jazz. The Jazz, as we talked about earlier, got their revenge on the Nuggets this week for last year's, avenging last year's playoff loss to them. Overall, this team is starting to just play very well in the midst of a five-game win streak. The four wins they got this week, doesn't even envelop their impressive win over the Bucks a week and a half ago, and this team is really starting to live up to their expectations. They're now up to third in the Western Conference, just a hair behind the Clippers and a little bit more behind the Lakers.
0: All right, well, that wraps up our most impressive teams of the week. Let's move to the other side of the scale with the most disappointing teams of the week, starting with your most disappointing team.
1: That would be the Orlando Magic. This team has some... They don't have the highest expectations, but... They have some medium-level expectations. They might have played three good teams this week, losing to the Bucs, the Celtics, and the Nets, but overall, a team who made the playoffs last year and won a game against the Bucks in the bubble in, the, in a playoff series should have higher expectations than going 0-4 in a four-game stretch against playoff teams. The Magic, even with their six-game losing streak, are somehow tied for eighth in the seemingly always weak bottom of the Eastern Conference.
0: All right, well, let's move to another team that went 0-3 this week. Who do you have as your second most disappointing team?
1: I have the Heat because they lost twice to the same team. That is very, very rare. Most of these games that you're seeing in back-to-backs on the same nights or on back-to-back nights against the same teams are going one-and-one, one one win for one team, one win for the other. And if the Heat want to do what they did last year, which is be the Eastern Conference champions, they're going to need to beat teams – like the 76ers, in the playoffs. And honestly, the 76ers might not even be the biggest obstacle. They might be the third biggest obstacle to them. So they also need to beat teams like the Pistons, who they lost to, to even make it into the playoffs in the first place. And they're currently sitting at 12th place in the East. And while I have confidence that they will be able to turn it around and make the playoffs, I don't know how that seeding will affect them and what that means for their bracket. You definitely don't want to end up playing, you know, the Bucks in the first round and then the nets right after that that would be di- that would be a dire outcome and you do not want to do that
0: all right well rounding out our uh, three most disappointing teams of the week with another team that went 0 and 3 this week patrick
1: that would be the charlotte hornets they went 0 and 3 they lost to the raptors twice and the mavericks as i just said with the heat when you play a team that should be on your level you should be going 1 and 1 with those back to back games and frankly the raptors are 4 and 8 even somehow lower than the hornets in the standings And they went 0-2 against them. Granted, the Raptors are starting to kind of turn the corner, but I don't believe it. And also the loss to the Mavericks. But Charlotte went on a four-game win streak, and it looked like they had turned the corner on their season, just like the Raptors seemed to be. But this week, this scene, this team has taken a dramatic shift in the loss column, maybe reflecting their expectations a little more accurately rather than that 6-5 that they were at some point a constant talking point with this team is the four-year 120 million dollar deal that they signed Gordon Hayward to in the offseason I heard an announcer singing the praises of the deal where they when they were in the midst of their win streak and I bet now that ever and I bet that now everybody is critiquing the deal for me I'm a constant critic of that decision because Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward do not make up a championship core so it doesn't make much sense to not just continue to rebuild if you won't be contending anytime soon. And this team has really been inconsistent all season long. Even with a decently sized win streak, they are still tied for eighth in the East due to their long losing streaks. This team is just bouncing up and down. And, you know, they want to bring it together. I'm sure Michael Jordan wants his players to play well, but I don't know if he put them in the best position to do so.
0: Yeah, got to be a frustrating week for Michael Jordan uh, with those two losses to the Raptors, who I think this is the first time in several weeks they haven't been one of your most disappointing teams. And then their loss to the Mavericks. And speaking of the Mavericks... Let's uh, hear from you, Patrick, on who your player of the week was.
1: My player of the week this week is Luka Doncic. He he had at least 27 points, 10 rebounds, and 9 assists in all of his three games. He had two triple-doubles, and overall he averaged 32.7 points per game, 13 rebounds per game, and 12.3 assists per game.
0: All right, well, that wraps up our weekly look at the NBA. Let's turn to our next topic, a look back at last week's NFL Divisional Playoff action. Let's start that recap with a look back at NFC playoff action. Uh, in the weekend's first game, the number one-seeded Green Bay Packers defeated the number six-seeded Los Angeles Rams 32-18. to Patrick, your thoughts on that matchup?
1: We were talking about the matchup of the best offense versus the best defense. It seems as though the old adage of defense wins championships, but offense wins games, might be flipping on its head a little bit. Due to the nature of football in 2020 into this, into 2021, offense beat defense in this game. To me, this game was as simple as this fact. The Rams did not have enough firepower on offense to keep up with the Packers. And without a virtuoso performance from the defense, they could not have won this game. Uh, 18 points is not going to cut it against the number one offense in the league. And frankly, I don't know what defense could hold the Packers to under 18 points. And again, maybe the Rams were the team that could have been capable of that, but again, would have required a virtuoso. Devontae Adams was mediocre by his standards, but Aaron Rodgers did a great job finding all his targets around the field. Cam Akers had a decent game for the Rams, but the Rams' passes were mostly short yardage passes. Jared Goff, I think, averaged less than six yards per attempt in this game, which is pretty low. And the group that dominated and won the game, though, was definitely the Packers' offensive line. Aaron Rodgers was not sacked a single time in this game. And the Packers averaged 5.2 yards per carry against a very strong defensive line, albeit an injured one due to Aaron Donald's injury. But, you know, the the Packers O-line really did take over this game and win that game for that team.
0: Yeah, you can't be upset uh, if you're the Rams with your performance. You had a banged-up quarterback, two banged-up quarterbacks. Uh, you had your best player on defense was probably not 100%, missing one of your top wide receivers, and they made it a competitive game. I th- think people would have been shocked besides you had they walked into Lambeau Field, played uh, a Packers team that had a bye week the week before and came out of there with a win. Overall, I think it was a good effort by the Rams. I think nothing to be uh, disappointed about. Let's see what their quarterback situation looks like going into next year. That'll be something very interesting to follow with the Rams in the offseason.
1: Already some tensions are reported between McVay and Goff due to the end of the season, so we'll see how that one goes and what the Rams might even do in the draft having to do with that.
0: Well, let's turn our attention... To the other NFC action, which actually represented the only game in the NFL that Patrick incorrectly picked, uh, the NFC action and weekend action in the NFL playoffs concluded with the number five-seeded Tampa Bay Buccaneers upsetting the number two-seeded New Orleans Saints in New Orleans, 30 to 20 on Sunday night. Patrick, your thoughts on this game?
1: In the battle of the History Channel quarterbacks, Tom Brady got the better of Drew Brees but that was not because he played a great game. In fact, Tom Brady had the lowest completion percentage of any of the starting quarterbacks in this playoff round, even lower than Drew Brees, who I am saying he outplayed. But the turning points in this game were the four turnovers by the Saints. The Buccaneers did not score a touchdown in this game that was not off of a Saints turnover. They had 21 points off four turnovers, those being three Drew Brees interceptions and a Jared Cook fumble. And by the way, the only time they did not score a touchdown off a turnover was at the end of the game where they ran the clock out and kneeled. So basically they scored off of all of them and also sealed the game off of the last one. Meanwhile, the Buccaneers never turned the ball over in the game. The Saints also had a punt return touchdown called back on a holding penalty and only ended up scoring a field goal later on that drive. The Saints therefore left a lot of points on the field and they did the one thing you cannot do in a playoff game, turn the ball over, and they did it way too much. Losing the turnover margin by four is pretty much always going to lose you a game in the NFL, no matter who you're playing, and definitely especially in the playoffs against a team that you're pretty evenly matched with, and if this is his final game, it's truly sad to see an all-time great like Drew Brees go out on such a low note, but we will always remember his Super Bowl wins, his Super Bowl win, sorry, and the great career and other moments that he had rather than this game.
0: Yeah, really disappointing way for Drew B- Brees to go out if it was his last game. Frankly, Drew Brees should be thanking Chad Henney. Um, otherwise, Brees would have the worst-looking throws of the weekend, um, some of the worst interceptions you'll, you'll ever see a quarterback throw, let alone Drew Brees. But again, besides Chad Henney's throw, we'll get to him later. Um, you can't win a game. So you, you said it simply. You cannot win playoff games. When you turn the ball over like that, especially when there's an experienced quarterback on the other side, and if
1: you don't create as many on your own, you, if you're going to turn the ball over four times, your defense has to create like six turnovers of their own. So it's just yeah, yeah it's really, not even
0: really disappointing. A disappointing end. Uh, it looks like to Drew Brees' career for him and Saints fans. Um, interesting throw by Jameis Winston. Is that the future? Who's their future? Is it Taysom Hill?
1: Well, you, there was actually a clip that people found of uh, at the very end of the game of Drew Brees telling Jameis Winston, "This is your team. You got everything it takes." I'm sure Taysom Hill and his fan club will be very upset that he is that Jameis Winston, Mister 30, 30, 30 for Thirty Club, Thirty Touchdowns, Thirty Interceptions, is taking over the Saints, a former divisional rival. But who knows? Maybe he maybe he can turn turn over a new leaf under new coaching after being mentored by Brees for a year. I think he can. But that's the Saints' future. Right now, it's about the Buccaneers representing the NFC South in the NFC Championship game against the Packers.
0: Yeah. Well, before we move to that, I want one further thought: is if, if that was uh, Drew Brees' uh, swan song, it looked like he was hurt. Um, he he didn't. I don't believe he threw a single pass downfield uh, more than twenty yards during the game. They brought in Jameis Winston to throw the only deep pass of the game, um, and it's just a shame he he gutted it out. We all know he had the rib injury. Earlier in the season, it looks like he, you know, he knew that he was going to retire at the end of this year, and did everything he could to get back. But and might
1: he'll... have been related to the injuries that he's had for the last two years, including that thumb injury against the Rams from a year ago. And they really, they that offense hasn't thrown the ball downfield and seemingly since 2018, I would say.
0: So maybe bring Jamison and with Alvin Kamara and, all, and the rest of the weapons, uh, the Saints have a bright future. I, I don't think the Saints are going anywhere um, anytime soon. Maybe not the level of greatness they're used to at the quarterback position, but John Payton's going to figure it out. Um, as you said, that sets up Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucs at Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers for the right to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl next Sunday at 3:05 Eastern. Uh, let's move over to the AFC, where the action started with the number five Baltimore Ravens falling to the number two seeded Buffalo Bills, 17 to 13 in Buffalo on Saturday. Patrick, your thoughts about this game?
1: Lamar Jackson did not play his greatest game before getting injured on the last play of the third quarter on the drive before he got injured with the score at 10-3 with a Buffalo lead. Baltimore took a 9-minute, 66-yard drive down to the Buffalo 9-yard line, but Lamar Jackson stared his receiver down for far too long and got intercepted. That interception was returned 101 yards by Taron Johnson, sorry, who, ultimate underdog story, he actually only got one college offer and was a very low-round pick. And that offer, by the way, was not even D1. And he gets, he etches his name in the NFL record books with an 101-yard pick six. And that play pretty much sealed the deal for this game. Josh Allen, as I thought he would, I thought both defenses would have great game plans. Neither team scored over 20. Both defenses looked pretty good. But Josh Allen did, as I said, as I said last week, just enough to win the game, finding Stefan Diggs for the only offensive touchdown by either team in this game. There were two missed field goals by each team. The one of Buffalo's misses came with the game pretty much already sealed away at 17-3. However, Justin Tucker's misses were uncharacteristic, and without those misses, maybe if the game was 10-9, Lamar might not throw that interception. He might throw it out of bounds knowing that he could get a leading field goal rather than needing the tie, but that's all speculation, and Bills Mafia is just happy to be moving on to the AFC Championship game.
0: Yeah, the wind in this game was crazy. I don't know how much it impacted the passing game, but it clearly impacted the kicking game, uh, as you said, two missed field goals from a very, very reliable kicker. I blame the announcer. He jinxed him. I don't remember who was doing the play-by-play. Uh, but he also got the rare the rare uh, double doink, uh, one off the left upright, one off the right upright. Both one miss was t- off the left one. The other one was off the right one. Uh, you rarely ever see that. As a matter of fact, if you put a bet on that, I bet you'd get probably a million to one odds at somebody to do it if they were trying. Well, maybe not a professional kicker. But uh, anyway, I agree with you, Patrick. I think that uh, those missed field goals really impacted the game. Could have been a different outcome. Uh, but the Buffalo Bills move on, and good, good for them and their fans. Uh, in the other game, let's continue with the theme of injured quarterbacks. However, this time, the team with the hurt quarterback managed to win. The final playoff game of the weekend saw the number one-seeded Kansas City Chiefs hold on to defeat the number six-seeded Cleveland Browns 22-17 on Sunday. Patrick, your thoughts about this game?
1: The Chiefs looked unstoppable in the first half of this game. They took a 19-3 lead at the half, scoring on all four of their first-half possessions. It seemed as though the only thing that could bring Cleveland back was a miracle, especially after they fumbled literally on the half-yard line, reaching the ball for a touchdown to end the first half. (sighs) Cleveland, it's just another show of their bad luck, but on the first drive of the second half, Baker Mayfield through an interception and I honestly thought the game was over. But then Harrison Butker missed a chip shot field goal and it looked like Cleveland's mit and Cleveland's bad luck might have started to turn around. And the Browns scored a touchdown on their next drive to inch one to inch a little bit closer and the, but the Chiefs still had a 19 to 10 lead and again, it's hard to even beat the Chiefs when you're up by 9. It is definitely hard to hold them down when they're in the lead. And then on the next drive, it looked like the Browns had gotten a miracle on a very questionable tackle by Mac Wilson. The superstar QB of the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, got up a little woozy and left the game with a concussion. Backup quarterback Chad Henney handed the ball off a few times, and after getting stopped on third down, the Chiefs kicked a field goal to go up 22-10. The Browns responded with an 8-minute touchdown drive to make it 22-17. But after an illegal crackback block penalty on the Chiefs, Chad Henney threw an awful pass that got intercepted. The Browns had just just what they wanted, an opportunity to take the lead in the fourth quarter. They converted a fourth and one at their own 29-yard line, but then the Chiefs defense showed up. They held the Browns to a negative one-yard pass, an incompletion, and then a two-yard pass, forced a punt, and after a gutsy play called to go for it on fourth and one by passing with a backup quarterback with one minute and 15 seconds left. Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and the beauty that is the Kansas City Chiefs offense converted and sealed the game away.
0: Well, yeah, I think most people uh, wouldn't have been surprised if you told them the Chiefs sealed the game with a quarterback scramble on third down and then a big pass from their quarterback. But if you told them it was Chad Henney, they would say you were nuts. Um, really remarkable for Chad Henney to come off the bench. I think he's 35 years old, never thrown a pass in the playoffs before this game.
1: Has a negative career touchdown-interception ratio. I think it's 60-63 to 63 in 13 seasons.
0: And he scrambled, looked like he had the first down on the key third down play, uh, third and 14, I think it was, or maybe third and 15. He got 14 yards to set up that fourth down play in the gutsy call where I think everybody thought the Chiefs were either going to try to draw, uh, draw the Browns off sides or they were going to run the ball and they threw a quick, quick out pass for the first, uh, first down to clinch the game. Gutsy call by Eric Bieniemy with, as you said, a backup quarterback in the game the chiefs move on that sets a matchup, match up that sets up a matchup between the two top seeded teams in the AFC at 6:40 Eastern on Sunday when the bills visit the chiefs for the AFC championship game patrick your quick thoughts on the nfc and afc championship matchups knowing we've got some you know potential injury questions in the afc but let's talk about it
1: i think in the nfc i think the packers are the clear i think the packers are the clear favorite there i know the point spread isn't too large on that game to start with i think it will be a close game But I do think that the Buccaneers defense, if you saw what the Rams defense did against that, I don't think they can hold the Packers to less than 32, I think. And I don't think that the Buccaneers offense is able to manage something that will compete with the Packers to that level of scoring. And I think due to that, I think I got the Packers winning the game. In the AFC, we don't know what will happen with Patrick Mahomes. But Andy Reid says he's looking good. Again, he's no medical doctor, so he does not know if he's playing or not. He has to pass concussion protocols. This is not an injury you can play through if you feel like it. It has to be verified by outside uh, neurophysicians, I think. And if he plays, I do think the Chiefs have an advantage, though, again, this will be another close game. I think Josh Allen can do enough to keep the Bills close. But I think the Chiefs would win if he plays, and if he doesn't play... The bills are going to be in the Super Bowl.
0: Well, I know one thing for certain: State Farm is going to be happy if the Chiefs and Packers win. Uh, <laughs> you'd have Aaron Rodgers and hopefully a healthy Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl and all their commercials they can run over and over again. Well, that's going to wrap it up for the fourth and twenty-four podcast. Uh, we will preview the NFL Conference Championship games in detail in our next podcast, which will be on Saturday, January twenty-third, where we will also recap the week in college basketball. In the meantime. Be sure to visit our website, 4thand24.com, where you can submit any comments you might have or topics you would like to hear discussed, and also check out Patrick's additional content on the website, which includes his NCAA tournament bracketology and his picks for next weekend's games, which will be published on Thursday. That's 4thand24.com, the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.